welcome back everybody to Comics School. Hope this finds you as well as can be, I suppose. Um, today it is um, my great pleasure to have with us Dr. Christopher Lehman, who is one of the coolest people that I know. Um, he has his scholarship is amazing. His insights are are trenchant and timely and meaningful. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us, sir. He's um, a part of the St. Cloud State University faculty. And you're, and, you're, uh, and I promise I'm going to get this right one day. Uh, you are the, you are currently the chair of the your department. Ethnic, gender, and women's studies. Ethnic, gender, That's and women's studies. That's right. It's not, I'm just bad at remembering things. Um, <laughs> but um, thank you for, thank you for being here, sir. Um, much, much appreciated. Um, Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because we're in the same town, but we're still social distancing. This is being, this is being recorded live via, uh, via, digital conferencing technology. Um, I don't know if I can say Zoom, but Zoom, if you're listening, you feel free to, to sponsor us, I guess. I don't know. Um, but we've been starting, and I'll start, uh, we'll start the way we've, we've always started all, I guess now, five episodes um, with origin stories. So what is, when you think back on your history with comics as a, as a medium, um, mm -hmm. What is your origin story? How how did you and comics come come together? Well, the earliest comic books that I can remember buying are the Gold Key and Whitman comic books that used to be sold three in a pouch in the late seventies and early eighties. And the ones that I bought were comic book adaptations of Saturday morning cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny and. Right. Daffy Duck and so forth. And I remember the first comic book that I bought that was a single issue and not three in a package was Marvel's Spidey Super Stories because I had watched The Electric Company as a younger child and there was Spidey at the 7-Eleven and I'd never seen Spidey in print. And I didn't oh, wow. know that much about the Spider-Man comic book series. I have a very faint memory of Spider-Man being a live action series in the late 70s. But everything I knew about Spider-Man was from the electric company. So that's why I bought that comic book. And I would later gravitate towards Batman and Superman, but only because I'd seen them on the Super Friends. Right. So the, car every that, the cartoon? Right. So... My knowledge of comic books was not based on the series themselves, but rather on the TV adaptations of them. And that's uh, and Gold Key Comics for those folks who who may only be familiar with the the big two or may you know or the big three if you count Image, so Marvel, DC, and Image. Gold Key was um, was rep was not reprints, but it was. Who was in there? It was uh, the Warner Brothers properties. Right. Um, so Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, um, but they had some other. They, they had some other. Um, 
Is it Casper? That it was a it was a strange uh, assortment of characters, right? So, right. So the way that Gold Key came about was that originally there was just Dell Comics that had all these licensing agreements, but then um, the licensing arm pretty much established their own comic book company and took all those uh, characters and and contracts. So Dell didn't have that much beyond their original series after say 1962 or 63. Right. And then Gold Key survived that way with all the, with all the licensed characters. And then I guess around 1979 or 80, Gold Key was renamed Whitman Comics. And then I think went under in 1984. And as, as almost every comic company did, it was, uh, it was tough times. I think it's really interesting um, that that you talk about the electric company um, because mm-hmm. not only is that where I met uh, Spider-Man, it's also where I met Morgan Freeman. Well, I didn't meet them, but that's where I was introduced to them. Um, but Spidey had come out in, six, in in the 60s. And so, you know, he he as a character, as a, as a property, um, made the jump pretty quickly. There was this, as you said, the, the, the television show, the series. Right. Um, which, which was its own thing, but then, um, you know, as an, uh, almost an educational, uh, outreach type thing, he was on the, he was in the electric company. Um, and that was, uh, that, that was an interesting, that was an interesting moment because it was right before, because early on, I remember, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Um, and that was where, yeah, and it was I? It was for some reason it was Iceman and Firestorm, uh, right. Firestar. Sorry, um, I'm gonna get a bunch of comments now. But oh, but that I, was yeah. I forgot that there had been the first Spider-Man animated series in the late '60s. That's right. The one that had um, Ralph Bakshi doing the animation before he went on to X-rated stuff. <laughs> But, um, but we all get our start somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and in the, in the heyday of really great theme songs as well, um, that people will still, people will still, uh, many will will remember. Um, and also very, various, uh, spider, (laughs) spider memes, um, (laughs) currently very popular. Um, but, um, I wondered if you could, um talk a little bit about um sort of your interest you know you've talked about your and your research um has been um and, and i guess continues to be um uh, to deal with uh with history and and animation and and issues uh-huh. of of um representation and race um and i wondered if you w- could talk a little bit about your um your interest or um how how you think about those those adaptations um the whether it's um because they're comics for so many things right so whether they originally originally a comic and then it gets put into a you know made into a movie or and maybe more interestingly vice versa and so i was wondering can you tell us a little bit about how you think about those those types of things Well, in looking at the comic books that I had bought and that I still occasionally buy that have to do with 
um, licensing or the meta comics, as right. I refer to them, it seems as though the people doing the meta comics are catering to a specific audience or a specific demographic that's different from the readership of the original series. So right. people who have been following the the stories for Batman, for example, would find a different kind of Batman than the Batman that you would find in the comic book series, Batman 66, because right. Batman 66 is an adaptation of the live action TV series from the 60s that was ultra campy and right. by the third <laughs> season rather silly <laughs> a little bit um and that batman 66 was um was significantly later um in fact that was um only a, cu a couple few years ago if i remember correctly right mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't months. like it was coming out concurrently right mm -hmm. um but i find that in doing a comic book series like that there's less um, freewheeling and of a, a laissez-faire approach to the art. It has to be specifically looking like the TV shows. So right. Batman has to look like Adam West in a costume and Robin has to look like Burt Ward in a costume. There can't be sort of artist interpretation of what those heroes look like the way that so you would have Neil Adams reimagine Batman in the 70s or so. Right, right. Because a lot of artists um, and a lot of creative teams will take a lot of actually pride in redesigning and, and, and reshaping, rethinking either the mythos or, you know, the design, right? Even if it's something just very simple, like if we stay with Batman, just the shape and design of the, the Bat logo, right? There was... Uh -huh. it, it was it started out and it was just the black bat and then in the 70s it had the the yellow circle and then uh, uh -huh. that it was and it was gray and then it was black in the yellow circle and, and then um uh -huh. but you can't do that with um as you said with with 66 right uh, it right. has to look like it has to have that as the aesthetic to be recognized to be read as true to the to the form. Are there others um, that that have um, that have perked your interest, or, or that you've you've seen that have been been adapted, or have um, have made have made the transition from one medium to the other that you found particularly um, interesting, or meaningful, or insightful, or provoking? Well, apparently, Batman sixty six was successful enough for DC to do the same thing with Wonder Woman. So there is a Wonder Woman 77 series with yes. Um, yes, sir. the artist trying to model Wonder Woman after Linda Carter. Right. Um, but what I remember about being a kid and discovering the comic book series, the original series, after having watching the TV adaptations was that I didn't know that there were things that I shouldn't look for in the series. Huh. What, 
Well, take the Incredible Hulk, for example. I had seen the TV version first. And so right. I was used to the Incredible Hulk, number one, not talking, and number two, being green and having David Banner being this hitchhiking, wandering secret identity pursued by uh, the reporter, Mr. McGee. And so imagine my surprise when I'm 12 and I'm buying my first issue, the first issue that I can remember buying of The Incredible Hulk. And he talks and I don't see David anywhere. And there's a mentioning of Bruce, but, and no reporter either. (laughs) Certainly not not chasing him down. Um, Right. And that's really interesting because they both, is it fair to say both count as the Hulk? Um, (laughs) By the way, Thor shows up in the Hulk, I think, uh, in the TV show uh, at at, at some point. Um, Someone will have to, someone will have to check me on that. but I'm almost positive um, that it, it's a very Vikingly Thor for some reason. Um, but would you say that both of those would, I don't know, both of those can be read as the Hulk, both of those count as, as the Hulk. Did that, do you think that that accounts for, uh, why, do you think that accounts for some of how people understand these stories, right? Like, I, I'm going to give you, as long as it's making certain moves, I, I'll give you David and Bruce. That's fine. Um, I'm used to Lou Ferrigno, but I understand this is a different medium. Um, right. Versus some things, um, versus some things that wouldn't work in the trade, or, or or that would, you know, that would make it very unHulk, right? Like uh-huh. that that would say, well, that's not that that that's a deal breaker. Um, how do you think people make those decisions or interpretations? Because as you said, uh-huh. it, it, it's, it could be th- for a 12 year old, uh, for a, for a 30 year old, it could be very uh-huh. uh, disconcerting to, to think it's going to be one way and then to have it be another. So how do you All think right. people make those, the tra- or, or allow for those transitions? Uh-huh. Well, I think certainly in the time since I've been a teenager, there's been an acceptance of a comic book reading audience being not just kids. So there are specific audiences that comic book writers write for now. And there are even ratings that comics have for who can read what or how old you have to be to read what. And you didn't have that earlier. So there wasn't as much wiggle room to allow for different interpretations of a hero. And Mm. I think that if a TV adaptation was too different from the original comic book series, then it could lead people like me scratching their heads, not just with the Mm -hmm. Hulk, but Mm -hmm. even when I started reading Batman, um, I had, started with the last few issues where Dick Grayson was Robin Mm. and before Jason Todd took over. But even then with the issues of Dick, um, he didn't say holy very much. (laughs) Like in the Super Friends or in the Batman TV show. And so I was still looking for that silliness, at least with Robin. But um, 
the comics just didn't have it. And I didn't understand that the TV versions were just these aberrations and that they weren't meant to be canon. They were mm. just meant to be this separate thing. I thought that if it was on TV, that was just the way it was supposed to be. Right. And it seems if you, and, and that's really interesting because coming from, uh, for a lot of folks, they will have read the comics first. So, you know, so for folks, for instance, who are um, familiar with the 1994 Batman animated series, if that was their first encounter with the Batman universe, if it, if it, if we want to put it that way, they're going to be looking for where's all the, you know, art deco in the, <laughs> where are all the blimps in, right. in Gotham because they've built uh, and they've, they've understood a world in a particular way. Um, and, you know, had their bit made sense of things in a particular way. Um, and so when you come into you come into that, uh, you know, you're reading, let's say, Tom King's new Batman, which is, which is extraordinary. Um, it's a different, it's a different thing. And you have to change your, your expectations. Do you feel like, I guess the, I guess the question is, um, are there, are there distinctions to be made? And I don't want to say between real life and comic that's not the what that, that's not at all what i want to what i want to ask so you know i'm thinking about um for instance when you have a when you have a television property so uh, and i was thinking of you the other day when um i ran across you remember star trek the original series yes mm-hmm. and they had a comic uh they had a comic book that's right um and they're was a panel and I'll see if I can link to it somewhere and put it in the the podcast description. There was a panel where somebody clearly wasn't watching the show because Uhura, they, the colorist of the comic book made her Mm -hmm. a blonde woman, a white blonde lady. (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. Indeed. One of the big whoopsies. And so I wonder, you know, in thinking about making the, I think about making the, the the transition right the from one can from one medium to another um that is a very whoops uh something is very lost there um that's one of the great <laughs> great oopsies of our time but is there what is, what is the trade-off what what do you think is is the what do you think is it attention i don't want to say what's lost because it, it's not lost. You gain you gain things, and you 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 trade things off when you when you switch media. Um, so mm-hmm. whether it's Felix the Cat, right? <laughs> um, which was a was that a comic strip first? No, Felix the Cat was an animated series that started in the silent era, right? I think in the late teens, but it did eventually become a comic book and maybe even right. a comic strip, right? And it is there. What is there? What's the trade-off for you when you think about um, when when we're moving, when we're switching media? 
right? When we're switching from the, the you know, a television program to a, um, to the comic, to the printed versions. Um, what do you think the trade-off is there for, for you as a reader or for, you know, uh, us as an audience? Hmm. Well, if you are into structure and rigid formula, then television adaptations, film adaptations are for you. But if you want to be able to read stories and look at different interpretations of a hero based on Mm -hmm. who's the writer and who's the artist and be okay with there being some variation, then go with the comic books. And that's, um, you know, I have uh, some, yeah, I have young kids. Um, and there's uh, Sesame Street comics, right? Mm-hmm. And they are very much a comic book version. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. If somebody's going to like lose mm-hmm. something or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something's going to, some lesson's about to be learned in a particular way, right? right? It's a particular structure. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a difference, as you said, there's maybe per, perhaps a, a wider, um, a wider set of tools uh, of, of storytelling devices that are available. Not to say that there's limits to characters or anything, but, you know, uh, if you're, if you're looking at a, uh, we also read, I, I just read an underdog uh, oh. comic with the, with the young one. And, and there were very, you know, there were story beats that everyone, mm-hmm. you know, he was always going to rhyme, first of all, underdog was. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and it was going to, it was going to have some, some very similar beats to it um, that were very, um, that, that were very, I don't want to say restriction, res, they weren't restrictive, but uh, uh, there, there was a structure to them. I think you put that well. Mm-hmm. There's a structure to them. Whereas, um, in a in a Spider-Man uh, comic, that may not be the case, depending on what era it is, what you know, right. who's writing it, and so there's a little bit when the rules are maybe when the rules are written by the comic first, um, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of I'm thinking in terms of um, the excellent Spider-Verse. So that was a that was a comic series first or a comic arc first. Um, and then that was translated into a movie rather than, um, rather than vice versa. Um, last, I guess the last question that, that I have is this, um, why do these things matter? Right. And, um, we've been asking this question because (laughs) we're living, I'm coming to you live from recorded live from my basement. And we're all quarantined and just things are going just, they're very wild time. Um, But do you, and you study animation deeply um, and and it's great. Definitely check out um, Chris's work on that or Dr. Lehman's work on that. Um, But why do these things matter? Do you think, why are they important for us to, when there's very real quote unquote real stuff happening, why do these things matter? Because 
stories are an important part of how we communicate. And for some people, comic books and comic strips are part of their first exposure to storytelling. And in those early years, you get accustomed to a certain kind. Now for me, watching more TV than reading comic books, my, my storytelling tastes tend to be more along the lines of formula. I've come to appreciate the way that comic books tell stories and the twists and turns and not necessarily expecting a happy ending or everything wrapped up neatly in a bow at the end of the issue. But those stories are part of how we communicate or how we learn to communicate and how we learn to talk about our own lives or the lives of people who interest us if we want to write biographies or histories or novels if we want to make stuff up. But comic books are part of how we learn to tell stories. I think that's why they're important. Um, I could not agree. Could not agree with you more. Um, this, this, uh, I, th I think back to, and this might be a stretch, but I don't think so. And I'm biased. Um, but, um, you know, you're a historian in, um, in every way, shape and form that I can think of. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, but I also think, I think about Carter Woodson, right. And he talks yeah. about uh, people knowing their, their history. Yes. And you can't, and this is my AP government teacher coming, coming back to haunt me, but you can't tell history without story. Yes. Um, and, you know, what Carter Woodson talks about is, look, a, a people, and I'm paraphrasing, but a people needs to know their history. People need to know their history. Otherwise, mm -hmm. they're erased. Um, yes. And, and that's, um, you know, part of why he and he, he sort of came up with the idea of Black History Week, which became Black History Month. But um, I, th I think that there's something there. I think you're right. I think stories, stories matter and are a way of – would you say a way of keeping cultural memory alive? Is that too much? Is that a, is that a stretch? Is that, is that, no, am I reaching? It's not a stretch, especially if you consider – um, oral storytelling, the way that people would pass down their family histories and histories of their communities, it's that, that's not a stretch at all. Well, good, good. All all of those all of those books I've read came in handy. Um, <laughs> all right, last last question: If people are in their basements, which they mm -hmm. might, might well be, or they're at home. All right, and they're looking for a really good series, an animated series, mm. to 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 find and binge watch. What what would maybe what would you what would your top three recommendations be? They don't have to be superheroes, but let's say let's say they want to watch some anim some some great animation um, that that they might not otherwise have time or might not otherwise run into. Okay. Well, I think the best combination of animation and storytelling would be Batman, the animated series. And if you just want good storytelling, but with very cheap animation, you could go with 
Star Trek, the animated series. Oh, the, I was with you. No, the Star, the, the Star, <laughs> that Star Trek series is, is really good, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cor- corners were cut in the, <laughs> in the animation right. portion. Right. Um, let's see a third one. I suppose the Spider-Man of the 60s. Excellent. That's a pretty good, faithful animated adaptation of the comic book yes i i would i would go i would also i would also recommend to you if you're looking for the uh and this might be this might be dating myself a little bit but um the 90s x-men um cartoon that was on fox and then the spider-man cartoon in the 90s was was pretty well pretty good as well but i'm with you i think you're i think yeah that that not the batman animated series was that was something else. Um, Dr. Lehman, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us today, for talking a little bit. Um, really, really appreciate you. Again, um, check his workout, fire up your Google machine and um, log, into, log into scholar.google.com. Um, check out your books. Uh, you just actually had a book come out, um, an, I should say an award nomin- an, an award-nominated book. Um, and can you tell us just a little bit about that? Oh, this is shameless plug time. That's fine. It <laughs> is called Slavery's Reach, Southern Slaveholders in the North Star Stage. It is about Southern slaveholders who invested in Minnesota's real estate businesses and institutions. And it's about what Minnesotans did with that money from slave capital. Mm. And it is a Minnesota Book Award finalist it's, right? on April 28th, at least, probably virtually, if right. I win. And, um, it's oh, published through the Minnesota Historical Society Press. Excellent. And it is, y'all, it is thoroughly, thoroughly good. So um, I know people are reading a lot. So let me recommend that to you uh, heartily. Um, Doc, thank you so much. Um, Be well, be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.